You know, just because something's different doesn't mean it's bad. I know at the very least, Romeo Dobbs is on my side. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I'm your host, John Delray. Happy Monday to you as we can start with yet another week. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. The Donald Driver Charity Softball game took place last night at the T-Rats Stadium in Appleton. It was a great time. Got to meet some great people, including Caden from the Pack Only Podcast, uh, a fellow person on YouTube. So if you've never seen Chan's channel, go check it out. But it was a lot of fun. Really cool to see the current stars smack down on Donald Driver and Jordy Nelson of the Legends. But always just a great Great fan experience, a great thing to go to, and also get to know some of the lesser-known guys on the team, because some of the players that play for the current stars are, are UDFAs or rookies, and uh, I was fortunate to meet Tucker Craft last night, and he seems like an awesome guy, so really, really cool experience. Today, we are talking about the 2023 Green Bay Packers, and we're talking about projecting strengths of the team. That's right. Rather, you know, it be running the ball or their pass defense or whatever the case may be, looking ahead and saying, what is this version of the Packers going to be good at? Or maybe not what they're good at, but what's working in their favor as they build out this roster, as they continue to find their spots, all their niches uh, across the 53. So let's get diving in right away. If you want to know what the rest of the week looks like, of course, barring any breaking news, looks like Wednesday I'm going to be doing the, the weaknesses. Again, give the good news, give the bad news, then recover a little bit at the end of the week because Friday I'm anticipating talking about the what they've done to address those weaknesses or which ones haven't they fixed at all yet because there's some of those too so let's get looking at the strengths uh first of all i'm gonna go with the number one strength of the 2023 green bay packers should be the run game right aaron jones aj dillon versatile good complimentary if used correctly and i talked last week about how aj dillon if used in a slightly different way could reach a new level this year aaron jones coming off of one of the best years of his career despite advancing in age specifically about jones himself three of the last four years he's been over a thousand yards Last year alone, he posted his second highest yards after contact with 3.2 yards average. And he had the most breakaway runs of his career, meaning the most runs that went over 10 yards last year. For A.J. Dillon, over the last two years that he's been a quasi-starter, if you will, he's averaged 785 yards and six touchdowns. According to PFF, they put out their ranking of the top 32 running backs in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers were one of only a couple teams to have two running backs featured in the top 32, Aaron Jones being 7th and A.J. Dillon being 29th. Take all of that, take that running back potential, paired with one of the better offensive lines in the game, which we're going to be talking about just a wee bit later, a more mobile quarterback compared to where Rodgers is at this stage in his career, and a more open Lafleurian offense, perhaps with some motion or, God forbid, a quarterback sneak once in a while. And we could see the running game become a real strength of the Green Bay Packers. Moving on to number two, let's just cover another position, right? 
a position of the team that should again be one of the strengths of the team, the snow fly zone itself, the cornerbacks. Now I know Eric Stokes still obviously working his way back from that long-term injury, and he may not be back for the start of training camp, heck, even the start of the season, as he continues to work back from having a metal plate put in his foot and just trying to regain his speed and what was a pretty catastrophic injury for him. But nonetheless, even taking Stokes out, what you're left with is one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL in Jair Alexander. We all know what he's capable of. But then move on down the depth chart and you got Razul Douglas. Razul Douglas, you know, last year, I would argue that he was used mightily improperly, at least through week eight last year. As if you'll recall, that's when he was used in the slot a lot by Joe Barry. <laughs> And basically what happened is if you go look over his coverage grades, specifically on PFF, you see weeks one through eight, where he's really playing a lot of slot. He has a couple of the best games of the season, and he also has his absolute worst games of the season. Because looking back on last year, we know that Razul Douglas was so matchup dependent in the slot. Some receivers he did very, very well against. Others receivers were just terrible matches for Razul Douglas's coverage style. And it was plain as day to even the common folk watching the games, right? And then in the latter half of the season, of course, Stokes goes down with his injury. Razul Douglas just goes back to the boundary. And Keyshawn Nixon steps into more of a slot cornerback role. And wouldn't you know it, once Razul Douglas kicked out to the boundary, all of his grades, all of his numbers kind of evened out. Steadily above average. No, Nothing exemplary, nothing elite like Jair's numbers sometimes but still steadily above average. And then you would Keyshawn Nixon step into the slot corner role where he played some of the best coverage style of his career. Now, is Keyshawn Nixon unequivocally the best slot corner in the NFL? Am I saying something like that? No, I'm not. It's still rather up and down. But last year was a marked improvement over much of his experience actually playing corner previously in his career at Las Vegas. Which leads you to believe he certainly is on the right track. And there were a few weeks last year that Keyshawn Nixon did play very, very well in the slot. And now, you've got increased depth, too. Shamar Jean Charles, Corey Ballantyne, they're both returning. Or how about Valentine, the later draft pick of the Packers, who many are considering perhaps one of the steals of some of those rounds, specifically in the Packer draft. An aggressive man-style corner, who if Joe Barry actually lets his men play... Well, Valentine could wind up being a steal. And then you factor in the return, eventually, of Eric Stokes. First-round pedigree, a fantastic rookie year with one of the best rates of stickiness, let's call it. Allowing his wide receiver to get some of the least separation in the league his rookie year. Yes, admittedly, last year was a step back prior to his injury, but if he can return to that freshman year, that rookie year form, this is going to be the snow fly zone regardless of what happens at the safety position. Moving on to strength number three, I'm just going to talk about pure, outright athleticism. Yeah, look, when you got a GM who's in love with relative athletic scores, as much as Brian Gutekunst is in love with relative athletic scores, you're going to eventually get a hyper-athletic team. John Kuhn, former Packers fullback who now works in the media, tweeted out the other day, number one observation from Packers OTA today, this team is bigger, faster, and younger than I have ever seen it. And I completely believe that to be true. Like, completely. Because, like I said, when you accumulate all of these hyper-athletic guys, 
that are amongst the best at their position for athletic testing at the Combine. And almost every single draft pick you do falls into at least the very good category. And then after three years, nearly every single draft pick makes every roster. Eventually, you're going to have a hyper-athletic roster. In fact, some of the only draft picks from the last like four years that aren't still on the team were guys that Brian Gutekunst made exceptions to the rule of when it came to his Raz thresholds. Speaking of the guy like Amari Rogers. So... Eventually, what you're going to have is this athletic team. And, you know, you pair that, pair acquiring hyper-athletic players with an exodus of older guys. It's no wonder that we're talking about this team being younger and athletic and faster than it's been in recent years. Because, look, you're drafting guys with RAS scores of like nine and you're letting go Mercedes Lewis, Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, Al Lazard, Jerron Reed, Dean Lowry. And almost exclusively for every single one of those guys leaving, you have a player on a rookie contract stepping into the role. Which, as we know, if they're on a rookie contract and Brian Goodenkins drafted them, they're probably athletic. So, gone are the days of Colin Kaepernick dashing through the secondary and us not having cornerbacks being fast enough to catch a quarterback. I remember how frustrating that was. I remember the talk five, six years ago about, boy, this Packers team just straight up needs athletes. Gone are those days. Now, if you see a mobile quarterback dashing through the Packers defense or a, or a running back, I uh, forget the game last year, but there's one still where there's like nine Packers encircling. Oh, it was Brees Hall from the Jets. Of course it was the Jets. But Brees Hall with the Jets where there's like nine Packers around him and he made it through. All of them. See, now it's not an athletic problem. Now it's a different problem, which we may cover on Wednesday. But years ago, it was an athletic problem, and that's not the case anymore. So they've at least addressed that part. You know, speaking of turnover, where you've got these veterans exiting and these younger guys stepping in, the Packers have a shockingly small amount of turnover. And I'm talking external turnover. Of course, we've got, like, you got to replace all the guys that are leaving, right? But I'm saying acquiring players from outside the organization to fill roles. I'm really, like, looking up and down the roster, I could only find six of the 24-ish starting spots on the football team that are going to be replaced potentially by someone who wasn't on the roster in some form last year. And those six would be slot wide receiver, which you could argue would be a starter. And that was going to be probably second round pick Jaden Reed. How about tight end? And even though DeGuara may be technically tight end one, we're certainly going to see plenty of Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. Or how about edge? Well, Lucas Van Ness is going to be playing probably some starting edge, maybe, unless they give it to Enigbare or Hollins, but whatever, that's only temporary until Rashawn Gary comes back. And then safety could be external. Unless Rudy Ford wins the job. Kicker probably will be external with Anders Carlson or somebody else. And then long snapper is more than likely going to be external in the form of Matt Ozerk. So here you go. Six at most starting spots that are going to have an external individual fill the starting role for the Packers. Which is a really tiny number. We know that there's a lot of turnover in the depth. or replacing some of these veterans who are leaving. But... Look, it's, they're being replaced by guys who are already familiar with the way that the Packers do things and Matt LaFleur's philosophies. 
And speaking of Matt LaFleur's philosophies, let's take a look at the coaching staff, where the most notable leaving this year was probably Jerry Gray, who headed down to Atlanta. But in years past, we've had to go from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry, or the hiring of Rich Bisaccia, or, or the purging of Nathaniel Hackett and Luke Getze, amongst other offensive assistants. In terms of Matt LaFleur's career, this is one of the most stable years in terms of retaining his coaching staff year over year. And well, why does that matter? Well, especially when you have a younger roster, guys who are looking to reach their potential, guys who actively do have some things to work on. Having that same voice year over year can go a long way. Like We all understand the importance of having new voices in the room and different things, right? But look, when these guys were sent away for the offseason, they were told by their position coaches, hey, I want you to work on this. And when they came back in April or May for these workouts for OTAs for minicamp upcoming, the guy who told them to go work on a very specific thing was the same guy that's going to greet them coming back. And that does go a long way for a young player. So looking up and down the roster, sure, you got a lot of new bodies, but the starting lineup is darn near the same. Or at the very least, maybe not the same, but it's it's internal. Paired with a coaching staff that's experienced less turnover than it's had in years, continuity becomes a strength of the team. And here's the funny thing, just a little ironic. Organizationally, the Green Bay Packers had probably the single most important historical single transaction that we've seen in 15 years. And yet, in a year where they do that, you could argue that they have a little bit more continuity than they have in most years as well. Just ironic. Just enjoy the history of it. Strength number Five, and it happens to come to one of Matt LaFleur's favorite sayings, the, the best five, the top five, the offensive line. But more specifically, pass blocking. Look, I mean, just look at some of the guys on the team, right? David Bakhtiari, whenever he played last year, didn't give up a single snap. Elton Jenkins continued to get healthier and healthier after his ACL injury, and now is pretty solidified in what is probably his best position at left guard. Then you've got Zach Tom, who wound up playing four different positions last year, continuing to progress. Paired with, as well, Luke Tenuta, Rashid Walker, Caleb Jones. And by the way, I know I've talked a lot about like Caleb Jones being like a mountain of a man. But at the softball game last night, it is apparent. Like, just go look at him next to any other Packers. I got a closer view of him than I probably have ever gotten. My word, that is a large human, even standing next to other O-linemen that were there. Just ridiculous. Anyway, back to the topic. You have a lot of younger players. The Packers didn't really address this position in the draft. We know that. And part of the reason that I'm saying, part of the argument could be because they really like who they have, who are already young and developing. And of course, if they're all developing, shouldn't this year's offensive line be better than last year's offensive line if it's all the same dudes? And it already ended the year last year as PFF's third best offensive line. Heading into this season, PFN considers them to be the eighth best offensive line in the National Football League. Regardless, no matter who you want to talk to, no matter what grading system you want to use, this is a top 10 offensive line. Looking specifically at last year, there were seven different players who logged over 400 snaps last year. And none of them 
allowed more than 28 pressures or five sacks all year. And only two of the seven didn't wind up playing multiple positions. This is a remarkably versatile group, which is very, very good at pass blocking. You could make the argument certainly that you'd like to see more punch. You want Josh Myers to continue to develop. You think John Runny Jr. can be upgraded upon. I get it. But there still is no denying that this is a top 10 unit in the NFL, specifically, especially when it comes to pass blocking. And that is a strength for a young quarterback, for a team that's in transition or rebuilding or reloading or whatever freaking word you want to use, whatever this team is, that is a definitive strength. And then number six, the final strength of the team for right now, culture and camaraderie. I'm not sure I remember at any point in any offseason, at least in recent history, seeing so many pictures from Evan Siegel, the team photographer, of guys genuinely enjoying being around each other. And not just single pictures of Rodgers rubbing his pads in a certain place or, you know, different things, or, but together. It's really cool to see. And it's something I don't think we've seen much of lately. Or how about the... Uh, Memorial Day pictures, or Memorial Day weekend, I should say, where A.J. Dillon hosted a party on a boat on an island somewhere up where he's mayor of in Door County with Jordan Love and Christian Watson and A.J. Dillon and Jonathan Owens. and It, it was a team party. And I, you can hate the fact that they did it, but regardless, there's no denying that there were a lot of smiles there. Even looking at the game last night, Christian Watson caught a line drive at the Donald Driver softball game and then taunted the legend who hit it and did a backflip. A.J. Dillon hit a home run and he rounded third base and immediately did a thunder thigh celebration. This team is fun. And they're building camaraderie. You know, even Kenny Clark recently said about OTAs that OTAs is where you bond. It's where you get to know each other. It's where you build camaraderie. And I'm not looking just to overstate the importance of OTAs. I think this is just natural because I've talked in the past about how this team, last year specifically, felt like two teams trying to merge into one. You had all the old guys who believed in doing things one way, and then you had all the young guys who just wanted to play. Well, now, one side's gone. And so what we may see is a significantly more unified vision for how this team is to perform, Go about its business, think, act, behave. I love it. This team is going to be a load of fun. And right now, looks like they're awfully good friends, too. Thanks for joining me on Lombardi Time Brews. I will be back on Wednesday, like I said, probably covering the anticipated weaknesses of the team. Uh, but until then, hope you're having a great day. Hope you have a great day tomorrow. And as always, Go Pack Go!